If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey, everybody just got back from hosting three days of live streaming at gdux.me 2019 part de. I want to also thank you for anybody that had the time to join us live. It was a fun and great experience. We already are planning for 2020. The dates are already up, so please go and head over to gdux.me to find other videos as well. The last conference, we're going to be uploading that in the next few weeks up on our gdux.me website as well as our YouTube channel, Blue Champs. Before I roll this clip, I want to mention that this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Perforce, the number one version control software for your company, big or small, to stay in control and to never lose your work. Go to Perforce.com to check that out. Also, I want to thank you and extend my gratitude to Unity. It is the leading game engine platform for anybody that is wanting to realize their idea in a small or big team, go to unity.com and give yourself an opportunity to make games. So this is the last hour. This is the end of Dedux Day 2. And we're going to end it with a roundtable discussion uh, with our guests here, some that you may be familiar with and some that you will be familiar with tomorrow. And so we're going to talk about various topics, trending topics that are affecting game developers the last six months or even the past year. And uh, this is also a fun way to kind of get involved, too, if you're viewing this, to kind of feed us topics that you want us to discuss. So I have topics of my own that I want to get us get started. But at some point, if you guys want to shift gears... And want to uh, kind of give your own suggestions and want to know our speakers and my thoughts, uh, go ahead and start feeding them in the Twitch chat or Facebook chat or wherever you are watching and we will get to it. So without further ado, I'm going to first unmute our uh, guest here. Jay, do you hear me? Yeah, but I had me muted too. All right, I hear you. So I am hearing everybody, which also means Gablamo. Wait one second. I'm shifting it. There we go. Bam. And this is how we get involved as a group. As you can see here, we have Jay here. That, that ended. Brady Bunch thing? <laughs> yeah. We ended day one with Jay. And tomorrow you're going to meet with Alex. Alex, uh, can you guys uh, actually kind of go over if I they am. missed day one? or haven't seen the agenda for tomorrow, kind of introduce yourselves uh, to our viewers out there of who you are. Do you want to go first, Brennan? <laughs> so uh, people know me. I'll go first. <laughs> but go ahead, Jay. I'm Jay. It's the end of the day. I'm having a, a, a nice drink. The um, I'm on the business side of the industry. I've been doing it for 20 years. Worked as an agent. Uh, 
publisher, a developer, and now I run a consulting firm. And so we do business and marketing and licensing consulting for all kinds of companies. But more importantly, for G-Ducks, we also run the indie game business podcast and online event where you can learn everything you need to know about business and marketing and licensing in the industry. And you don't have to spend a dime unless you go to one of our events. It's a little cheaper. But yeah, that's me. Hi, uh, I'm Alex. So um, I'm actually only six years in the industry and I'm mainly do not develop games, but a program for an animation software. Uh, but I did participate a lot in the technical details of our games. Um, and we have a, a, the company is doing mobile games. It's uh, mobile fighting games and mobile parkour games before that. Vector and Shadow Fight 2 and now Shadow Fight 3. So uh, probably I can I can bring a, a bit of technical stuff into the uh, podcast, into the roundtable. Uh, so if there are any technical questions, I think I can answer. Yeah, and I, I have an applied math background. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think the audio is not going in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I was about to say, like, you're probably uh, the technical side that uh, rounds out this roundtable. So the first topic I want to propose, and I want to know your guys' opinion based on your discipline, and this is where it gets really interesting. So first and foremost, we're at the end of the year, and for the first, well, since the beginning of the year, uh, Netflix for games have been the hottest topic that could change the landscape of uh, how we think things or not, right? It could be a total who cares. And I want to know you guys' thought about this, um, how it could affect us. Does it matter? Uh, you know, does Stadia have anything to do with the next year or so? Is anybody waiting for this to happen? I mean, this is something that I feel like it has been its ups and downs on a personal level. But uh, why don't you guys go ahead and take the mic and let me know your thoughts. I'm going I'm to get comfortable for this one. We've been hearing about the Netflix of games for as long as there's been Netflix. The problem, and, and there are at least a dozen of these different services that I know of. You know, but if you're going to lump in the streaming and the subscription, because one will tell you they're different than the other, but the reality is you're paying somebody a monthly fee for access to a wide, you know, range of games. None of these are going to succeed without original content. I have right now no faith in the stadia. You want people to shell out $150 to play games that they already have. Because the people that are going to buy this this $150 setup initially are the early adopters. The early adopters already have a PS4, an Xbox One, you know, the PC, whatever. So there's nothing groundbreaking original that, you know, is coming to the platform. Between all of them, Microsoft Game Pass, I like because I mean it's like yeah, day one. If you're if you were paying for it, you got to play Outer Worlds, you got to play Gears of War, you know, basically as part of your package. 
um, the pirate game as well. There's something original there. There's original stuff on PlayStations, and there's original stuff on the Apple Arcade. That's what, it, yeah, I had to think about what it was called. All of these services are going to compete, you know, continue to compete fighting for a finite share of users. But unless they have you know, something really original to bring people there, it's just all the same. It's like you don't go to Netflix so you can watch Friends. You go so you can watch House of Cards or Orange is the New Black or the Marvel shows, things that you can only watch there. You know, these TV services get that. That's why HBO pays millions and millions of dollars for Game of Thrones. But these streaming and subscription services in the industry haven't, they haven't seemed to get that yet, with the exception of Apple. You know, Microsoft is, is releasing the stuff on there that they already had, but Apple's the one that's going on actually buying and paying for rights to get this stuff as exclusive. Excuse me there. The, um, the other side of it is, as an indie dev, you have to be very careful about getting involved in one of these because most of them are going to pay you based on the amount of time somebody spends playing your game versus the time they spend playing everybody else's. Well, if you watch people play that are engaged in the, that, you know, have these subscription services, they may play some indie games here and there, but they're generally paying it so they can play Outer Worlds or, you know, the big AAA titles. So, you know, I made a comment on Twitter when Google announced their Play Pass, and I said, this is fantastic for Google. This is fantastic for consumers. It is not fantastic for indie devs. And one of the guys at Google argued with me that, well, it's not, your payments aren't just based on time spent playing. And I'm like, okay, well, what are they based on? And of course, they wouldn't go into it because it's all NDA stuff. But the reality is, is we've been hearing this Netflix of games stuff for a decade. You know, it, it's a matter of what, when is somebody going to step up and really start saying, okay, look, I'm going to develop a AAA product that is only going to be available on this streaming service, that's when we'll see a true Netflix of games. Because otherwise, didn't we have the Netflix? What was the service that you could buy? It still, it still exists. I saw a commercial for it the other day where you can, it was literally just like Netflix for movies, except you order games through the mail. But anyway, that was the original Netflix of games. It was literally the same thing. Gamefly, anyway. right? Was it Gamefly? Yes, it is Gamefly. But yeah, that's my rant, Brandon, because it, it, this has been one of the things that I've seen on and on and on over the years. And then, you know, Google got all excited and they did this a big announcement of GDC, which was not an announcement at all. And it's just completely underwhelming. And then you got the fact of Google has a very good track record of dropping projects. Okay. So if it doesn't go, then they're just going to pull the plug on it. And so I think their reputation and their lack of really top-notch exclusive content, because I think they have exclusive content, but it's not like anything anyone's getting excited about. I think that's their biggest problem. Dude, you're talking. I think you're muted. I am muted. So let's end one rant and start another. Alex, uh, what's your thoughts about this? Um, it being such a big subject for game developers. Uh, I feel I just don't know that much about that. But 
well, probably with game industry having more and more money, <laughs> everyone wants to get into it. Uh, so, and get a, a higher share. Well, no, it's something like I have some high expertise in this. Uh, for me, uh, so probably I can only say as a user, for me, that doesn't sound that much interesting. Like uh, I have a, uh, I have Steam. I'm mostly a PC user, by the way, uh, speaking about games. And I have Steam. I have a big game store right now installed on my PC. So I use them and uh, having something like a streaming service. Uh, I don't know what, what for if I can, uh, like, I buy more games than I played uh, already. And it's not like I have, I just want to try so much games more. Uh, I just want to try those I already bought. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I I wouldn't say I see it like as something really cool, but who knows? They have a lot, uh, a lot of money to waste. So if maybe in the future for... Uh, for younger people who like want to try more games in time, I, I don't know, but I, it's not like I have a high expertise in that. Yeah, well, I agree. At least on the consumer side, the difference there, and I think Jay kind of touched on this, where um, watching a movie or, or television content, you're, you're kind of locked within an hour or two that you're going to finish it. With games, it takes days or even months or weeks to finish a game before moving on. I think there was another service that was trying to, that I'm subscribed to, which is ScribD. We don't get sponsored. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. But it's just uh, the Netflix of reading, right? You can't get through a book fast enough to really appreciate a subscription-based service. And so games take way longer than reading a book, I feel. And uh, I think on the consumer side, it's going to be very difficult for us to really justify the price after a certain amount of time. So right now... This this test model before even Stadia is something that we're seeing, although there is a streaming element to it. But the Xbox Game Pass, right, is something I, I'm really liking right now. But at the same time, uh, I think someone on the chit chat is actually uh, kind of sharing this point where Dane Thane saying that with the sub, he feels compelled, right, to kind of complete the games. Otherwise, like we, what you said, Alex, we most likely kind of just... We have so much more games than we can actually play. We kind of just let it sit there. And so with the streaming service, like how much of it are we really playing? Maybe besides multiplayer games, right? But that's the main problem with streaming. It's uh, it's very, it could be a very laggy experience where we're not there yet. We don't have Korean internet uh, that everybody can play freely. So there's a lot of trouble I mean, there that, that I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. That I mean, that is the difference between the streaming and the subscription. Even though I lump them all together, they're not exactly the same because you're not actually streaming the game when you're playing it on Game Pass. You're downloading it and then playing it. So your internet speed doesn't really matter. But, I mean, it's like Dane said. You get the access to this thing, and, and I have access to it. I mean, I, I mean, it's like they announced it at E3. And it's like $4.99, play all these games. I'm like, yes, 
But, you know, what do I play? The Outer Worlds. You know, there are a lot of good indie games on here. But like he said, when you're paying $4.99, $10.99, you know, $14.99 for these things, you feel obligated to play the $50, $60 games that are on there. And so if that business model back to the developer is based on the amount of time that somebody spends playing it, no one's going to spend time playing it. And so if that's that's where it gets, you know, really dicey as an indie developer going and doing one of these things. Now, the other side of that is if you're an indie dev with multiple titles that are already released and you're in the long tail of one of your previous titles, including them in one of these streaming services can be a way to market your other games. But it's not something I would look at to actually drive a lot of revenue for you. Yeah, and it's actually... uh... The interesting part where I kind of value the upside or possible upside is the indie dev side of it. But even then, I'm not exactly sure that the streaming platform is going to fully embrace and help out indie developers, like you said. Um, I think initially, because of exclusivity, like what you mentioned, we go to these streaming movie platforms because of the exclusive content. That that's the only place you can get it. I definitely agree with you there. Stadia is not there yet. It's going to take years, if they even have the patience, to create some first-party software that the PlayStations and the Xboxes and the Nintendos have built over generations uh, of consoles and iteration. They built like these trustworthy studios uh, that are able to kind of kind of rely on on the experiences to create content or compelling content that people want to buy and uh it's as we've learned at least two days into this conference game development's hard it's really tough and to think that you can just buy people and bring them to google and think that you're gonna have a winning formula even though they have like strong titles under their belt it uh, the team dynamic is such an important element to be able to kind of deliver content that makes sense for everybody to kind of buy into. So I do feel unless Google and like what you said, Jay has the patience to kind of see this product through, which they've shown in history. They don't, they kind of kill off their own uh, projects pretty quickly. Uh, I don't know. I'm just afraid that the Bay Area is going to be seeing an influx of game developers that moved out to work on Stadia and are quickly going to find themselves without jobs because Google doesn't have the the hindsight to uh, to look forward. How is that different than any other day in the Bay Area? I know, I know. But, <laughs> but like, I, I definitely want to see and uh, what the indie front looks like with all this, right? I mean, is there, like, in in a great sense, and people complain about Spotify not really paying, uh, you know, to the smaller uh, music bands out there the rightful uh, amount, right? But when we talk to more individual artists that actually, you know, own their labels, they actually do, like, a fair cut. But it isn't like the Spotify... um, uh, the Spotify model is the model that most 
creatives want, right? They always refer to the Netflix, which is, hey, here's some exclusive rights up front, create the content, and we have this amount of years instead of like pay uh, percentage per per stream, right? Which is a tougher model to kind of emulate and keep a hold of or keep track of. Like, is there room or hope for indie developers out there with this onslaught where everyone seems to be jumping on the streaming thing? Or is it one of those things not. where it's middle? Okay. There's there's no like great rush to get into the streaming model, and it's not replacing anything, you know. So we're not seeing yet anyway. We're not seeing drastic reductions in the amount of sales on Steam or Epic because Microsoft has this Game Pass or you know Google or, or whatever. You know, it's, I always tell, you know, the developers I work with, you need to have your game in as many locations as possible. You know, it, you can't sit out there in today's market and say, oh, I'm going to release on Steam and everything will be fine and dandy. That's not the way it works. You need to be on Steam. You need to be on Epic. If you can get on there, you need to be on GOG. You need to be on Humble Bundle. And if you can get on some of these streaming titles on streaming platforms, there's an argument that says you're not really going to cannibalize your own sales, but I wouldn't risk it. Um, But you always have to be looking for as many different development and sales avenues as you can possibly build. And so, you know, the streaming services and the subscription services, they have a role in the ecosystem. But you as an indie dev cannot look at it and go, oh, well, this is the only place we're going to go and we're going to make a lot of money because you're not, you know, that's just the reality. But we see, despite all of the Reddit uproar about Epic and their exclusives, here's my news for those people. Exclusives are what we've done in this industry for 30 years. It's how companies grow. It's a reality and deal with it. The We see the news come out from all of these different studios that have worked with Epic and they're like, yeah, we gave them an exclusive because they basically paid our entire development budget and we don't have to worry about where the next paycheck's coming from. Oh, and by the way, we sold more copies than we have sold in this franchise ever. And so, you know, just that alone tells me you know, we're not seeing a cannibalization of even the, the premium stores to each other yet. And we're not seeing the streaming services dip into that either. It's just a different, you know, sales avenue that you need to properly slot in in your product's appropriate life cycle. This is actually a perfect segue. Uh, and the next topic that I want to talk about, and Jay, you're kind of touching on it already, where we are seeing the Epic Store versus Steam, right? The last year, if anything, has been dominated with headlines with either outcry or, well, mostly outcry, some applause saying that, hey, there's finally a competitor outside of Steam that is uh, having and throwing a lot of weight around and giving a real choice to consumers, but at the same time upsetting early early supporters of a certain game and crowdfunding or whatever um, by having no ability to download this originally on Steam, but having to transfer over and essentially go on to a new web link 
<laughs> Which I never yeah, really yeah, understand. It's not not that tough, but I don't know, oh Alex. Oh my god! What you were mentioning, Alex, like uh, you know, you're a huge Steam user, like most people are. Uh, when we look for new PC games, we go usually to Steam. But how are you feeling about this epic change that has been kind of taking over the last year? Well, well, I I think it's great. Like, uh, I think it's always good if there are like two companies competing. Like, I use Firefox, and yeah, I have sometimes problems like with the Vimeo. <laughs> I had a with the screen share, but uh, I think we should always support like the next competitor because if we don't, uh, then the um the industry is dominated and in steam it's like that and like they're the percent they're taking from the developers i think it's too high it's like uh the 30 percent right I th- yeah the the 30 percent well it's a lot uh and i don't know for what like have the interface uh and again i'm like I'm not, I'm not really uh, so professional in this, but I really don't understand from the technical side. I understand for what they're taking the money. They're basically taking the money because they own the store. Um, and if for iOS or Android, at least they own the operating system, and they take relatively the same amount of money. Uh, then here, well. I don't know. They, the the program doesn't look that uh, hard to do to manage. Probably it is pretty hard. And yeah, the Epic Games is not yet as developed in interface and searching in uh, community stuff. But I hope I hope they will uh, evolve and be better, be me, be more user friendly. I've read an article that uh, Epic Games is not as user-friendly, they have to roll fast or they won't get a share. But the the way they went in with the exclusiveness, uh, I think it works out good. And the hype is over there. So I think that now, it, I, I hope it will be the two main companies uh, competing with each other and a lot of people using both for example and maybe even valve will have to lower their share on the game developers yeah that is definitely the hope uh i don't know how far away we are with that um just to give kind of insight of uh because we've had guests before that kind of expanded on what steam used to do where they kind of were more hands-on for that 30 percent, where they really try to help you as a developer to kind of show you in best light in some cases they were kind of changing logos uh to make it look like more professional to help these indie developers uh in their graphic department in that way where it's like hey you need to kind (laughs) of show some more love on this side uh absolutely true they don't do much of that anymore uh aside from that they're just making sure that uh whatever you do put out doesn't you know uh at least 
create controversy. So they're more like uh, no, fire, fire no, control. <laughs> they wait until it does cause controversy, and then they go, "Oh well, we're not going to do anything." About right, it. right. You know, we're we we have an open platform. No, without a doubt, Steam absolutely used to be worth thirty percent. Yeah, but that was in the days when when you release something new. It stayed on the new and trending list for more than 48 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. and you would yep. be up there for a few days. Mm-hmm. And now they open the floodgate and that's not that's not the case anymore. And so mm-hmm. it's not as much that they're not because they didn't trust me, they didn't help everybody with their logos. You know, they they helped who they felt they needed to help with their logos. But you could justify it back then because there was a lot of you know, passive marketing, for lack of a better word, that yep. you could get off of Steam because you would be up there. But now that's not the case. You know, you're you're going to be up there for 30, 40 minutes, and then it's going to be replaced by something else. So it's... But keep in mind, too, 10 years ago, you know, we used to give Big Fish games because we did a lot of stuff in the casual hidden object market, and there were you know, you're, it's a segment of the industry that kind of gets, you know, shoved to the side. People are like, well, it's not AAA gaming. Yeah. Well, those games were making millions of dollars each and they Mm -hmm. cost about 150 grand to make. It was a huge market. Big fish kept 70% and you got 30% as the developer. And so, you know, when steam came out and said, we're only going to take 30%, everyone was like, Oh wow, it's amazing. But, you know, that, like you said in the last segment, the industry evolves. This isn't something that changes like every two or three years. You know, Tim came in and Tim's been, you know, extremely critical of Steam for years. And he dropped the gauntlet and said, you know, we're going to waive your unreal fees and we're only going to take 12 percent because that's all we think we really need. And it's going to at some point, there's going to have to be some pushback from steam from steam and they're gonna have to acquiesce but right now epic hasn't got enough stuff going on to really you know to cause it yet but it'll happen it will happen i think at the (laughs) the steam that it's going uh you know i'm finding myself checking epic store like every month because they're giving me free games like solid games i got the batman trilogy for free for god's sake i was like no but I'm just bankrolling that. <laughs> but that's what it's I mean. Like Anthony said, we yeah. have all these free games and access to all of them. And yes, yes. You know, I still sit down and play Civ Six. Yeah, you know, because yep. that's the one that I keep coming back to. And it feeds into the problem that the industry, you know, these like big movers, uh, Google or Facebook, think that we're we're needing the move. Is like the reality is we have more games than we can play, and this is before before. Uh, me having like all these Steam games that I haven't played yet. Now I have this epic library that I haven't touched. I just have games. If I just sit still, I have like two to three years of games of if I had eight hours a day, have to go through before even thinking about going to a subscription route. So that fact alone, I think a lot of gamers share where on the user front, it sounds like a neat idea. Um, they would really have to sell the exclusive content for me to want to play on my phone essentially like the biggest benefit that i see with streaming is that i can take my mobile phone and play triple a games right that's the only hook i feel if they get the lag free experience that they're promising 
But aside from that, it's going to be a hard convincing buy for me to trust Google uh, to feed into these content that I'll never own. Uh, I just don't think they have... I don't think they have the the longevity to keep with it because you're talking to a guy that has a Pixel phone, right? And it's a successful phone, but for until the, I do too. I've got uh, one. I love yeah. it. Yeah, but until the Pixel three, I was like, oh, maybe they are gonna stick with this. <laughs> it took three phones <laughs> for me to trust. Like maybe Google is gonna finally stick with this. Uh, but that's what the Google brand is to me nowadays. It's like are they have this new neat idea, but. You know, you got to have to wait for a few generations for it to really stick. And it's one of the reasons See, why I'm in North Carolina, where yeah. we got Google, Google Fiber in some places. And then they started doing it in other places. And that, right about that time, they were like, well, you know what? This doesn't really make sense. We're not going to do it anymore. And it caused a, you know, gigantic issue. But, you know, that's my concern is that they sit down and they go, well, not enough people paid $150 for early access to this. So let's just tube it and we'll do something, you know, different. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of want to kind of throw this question around to you guys, too. Like, um, I, I thought when the steaming streaming wars kind of started with this promise of like this service that allows you to play unlimited games uh, on a monthly basis, right? Was the answer to uh, that saturated indie development market, right? There's so many games out there. How does anybody hear of them, but much less play them, right? Um, is there hope to kind of fix this on a consumer level if the streaming thing isn't the answer? Like, uh, aside from just good old marketing, good old games being the rule of thumb, it seems like it just boils down to. You're, the streaming is never going to be the answer for the indie teams. I mean, it, that's just the reality of it. But it's like you look at indie musicians and how many hours of gameplay they get on Spotify compared to Taylor Swift. You know, it's it's just it's negligent. The one of the reasons we do our podcast is because I've been getting the same email or phone call for 20 years. And it's the developer that calls me and says, we've got a game launching next week. We don't have a marketing budget. How can we promote it? And my answer is you can't you know, find whatever deity you want to pray to and start because that's the only thing that's going to help you until developers realize that marketing is a very, very major component of running an indie studio. No amount of streaming and no amount of new stores out there is going to help anything. You know, if you're an indie dev, you have to start thinking about marketing your game. The minute you start making your game, that's the only way you're going to make it. You know, the, the day, like I said earlier, the days of we made a game, let's put it on Steam and we'll watch the money come in. They're dead and gone. And, and that's not going to be replicated anywhere else ever. You know, you as an indie team, if you're not going to go get a publisher and you want to be truly indie and self-publish, you absolutely have to market your game, build that community and you know handle it on your own because nobody else is going to help you with it it's it's on you yeah i think that's the uh the rule that everyone has to boil back to um 
There's another topic that I want us to kind of discuss about, and I want to know your guys' opinion. Um, let's say we do crack the nut, right? Let's say we do have a, a game that is catching uh, at least a community that is interested, right? And I, I feel like the bigger bigger game studios have uh, have been in hot waters in the last six months, uh, EA. It always seems to be the case. Uh, with loot boxes. So loot boxes actually have been creating new laws the past year uh, because it's been equating to gambling a lot in the states. I don't know, Alex, if you're familiar with this, but the idea is that uh, selling small content for randomized uh, things that the buyer has no idea what they're going to get is causing a lot of parents a lot of headaches because they are finding bills that are well over hundreds to thousands of dollars by their children trying to get that that FIFA player that they've been trying to get. Uh, but also other things where uh, they're trying to buy extra content that they have no idea what they're going to get until they finally get it, which is, again, poor, poor business. So what are you guys' opinion about this looming, looming thing that we used to call DLC, but now it's loot boxes? I'll, I'll let it think of first. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, well, first of all, uh, like I come from a mobile game development where this is very, very popular. And I think it's mainly here where the loot boxes are looming and spreading. And to tell the truth, I think, I think it's first, it's sad that measures from top have to be taken uh, to control this type of behavior. But of course, there are children, first of all, that are just, they're not ready yet to control the, they're not earning money, they're not controlling the finances. Uh, they can't understand that this uh, this kind of lottery, it's, it's something like a lottery. And lottery is something, it's always associated with something bad. And that's basically because it makes money out of, out of nowhere. And here people just found a way to multiply the income by using good old psych psychology strategies that get money out of people because people are not that good with math in their head. And they just use it and get a lot of money. And uh, what can I say? It's like... I don't like the idea of this uh, lotteries in real life and I wouldn't like them to come into games, but the reality for game developers is that if you don't use it, other if it's not forbidden and you don't use it and other people use it, then this other people, they get all the money so and they have more power to market their games, for example. So they will dominate on the market so as as for me for now i think limitations here coming from the top are okay uh but it would be great if people just and i think this the stuff is evolving in the community uh that people see something bad and they say about that and they create negative reputation and the game like the sales go down uh, and if that was 
coming from people, I would be more happy. But if not, okay, for now, and especially if we include kids, then I think it's okay to limit limit the stuff. And that's basically what is happening right now, if I understand correctly, yes. Yeah, I, I think you uh, you are correct on that. Um, there are a lot of like uh, regulations, but this is also funny where like the mobile market has been doing this for years. But the last year, since the console guys are starting to take hold of it, it's suddenly becoming an issue, so, which is really, really weird. I don't know. I forgot what the explanation is. I don't know, Jay, if you have some insight on this on why suddenly it's a problem. <laughs> It becomes a problem when somebody's stock price gets affected. Mm -hmm. Look at when all of the loot box crap drama started happening, and it was when EA released Battlefront. Was it one that they screwed up so badly or two? One of the Battlefronts. Yeah. And the loot boxes contained items that actually significantly made your character more powerful, which is the problem. And... It resulted in Bob Iger calling the EA CEO and telling him to put a stop to it. And so if you need a scale of zero to, oh, my God, you're in trouble, when the CEO of Disney takes time out of his day to call you and tell you to stop doing something because it's affecting his brand, you've gone off the cliff. This is what we see in, in, not just in the loot boxes, but in all sorts of, of different areas of the industry and, and things that aren't in our industry. It's not a big deal until one of the big companies that has a stock price that gets screwed with, that's when people start paying attention. You know, because you're right, we've been doing loot boxes in mobile games for 10 years. It's It's never been an issue. Blizzard does it. This is what gets me. EA has a very, very successful loot box system with FIFA, but they can't seem to figure out how to do it with the first-person shooter, even though Blizzard is sitting right down the road, has shown them for years how to do a successful loot box system with a first-person shooter, and then they still screw it up. You know, it, it's to, to me, it's something that we're, we're not going to see a lot of legal, real legal pressure come down because about the time somebody introduces a law, it's going to get shot down by somebody's lawyers because at the end of the day, we're basically selling baseball cards, you know, in packages, but because it's digital and because there are parents out there who don't have enough sense to put a password on their iTunes account, we have all of these issues pop up. But it's like a lot of things in the industry. We don't see it. it. It doesn't become a major issue until it comes from Take-Two, Activision, EA, you know, one of the companies that's traded on Wall Street, and some hedge fund manager goes, why did we lose $100 million yesterday? Oh, it's because Johnny spent thirteen grand on FIFA you know, cards, and his mom didn't know about it. Can you tell I'm the old cynical one in this group? Uh, no, it totally makes sense because uh, it's a thing that uh, definitely is apparent. Like the last year, suddenly everyone starts caring about this thing that's been a part of the business for a while. And uh, without fail, EA is there to kind of answer to all these uh, accusations. They're always pushing the envelope of what's legal, what's not. It's never any of anybody else. 
<laughs> they called it was it surprise mechanics that they Sur- called it in the surprise in the mechanics UK courtroom. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We had a we had a when no. <laughs> one of the episodes I forgot which episode of the Game Dev Unchained podcast we had a lawyer kind of talk about this in particular surprise mechanics and I had to run that through him I was like hey man is that something your legal team would actually think was a good idea to kind of kind of <laughs> just put it out there in the press as a defense <laughs> you know does that sound like something that would pass uh, and he said absolutely not <laughs> it was just a really it was a grenade man it was just just hope. And hoping things but, are but, but let's peel this back another layer. It absolutely does work with the audience. They're talking to a bunch of politicians in London. You could do the very same thing in Washington, and they would go, Oh, okay. Because yeah. watch these proceedings where they have, you know, Zuckerberg in there talking right, about right. Facebook's, you know, claims, and then our senator will sit there and complain that his Gmail doesn't work mm-hmm. to Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, and it's like they don't get it. So you can you can say anything you want to some of these people. It just depends on what your audience is. <laughs> if your audience is a bunch of out of touch rich yeah. people, yeah, hell yeah, it's a surprise mechanic. Well, that's another testament why, Alex, you're so much smarter than we are. <laughs> because, yeah, I did see the difference in at least the people in authority uh, across the, the pond there. And uh, it was so different when Zuckerberg was being grilled by the European Union, uh, how much more educated people over there are, at least up to date, right? But, uh, yeah, I think those are the type of things that they couldn't get away with. <laughs> Not really. I'm, I'm actually in Russia, so it's uh, uh, it's way worse than in your <laughs> oh, really? place. Listen, we're talking about people in the Stone Age. Oh well, it's uh, no, it's not uh, something about uh, electronics. Some stuff is very good here. Uh, for example, if you come from Russia to us you will notice that cards are not accepted everywhere and here they're basically everywhere accepted mm-hmm. and i was like oh god you have to have edge and stuff like that um but yeah it, it, if we're speaking about how good are our politicians in technology then i think it's um it's not in their favor yeah all right, so you're on our level then. Um, That's why this roundtable is so equal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is one last topic that I want to kind of dive into, and this is kind of more um, focus on the last year. So if I were to look at the last year, apart from our last two topics that we kind of segue through, I want to talk about these expose articles about these major game companies and how, you know, again, Jay is probably familiar with this, but like how these companies are overworking, uh, overpromising, and not quite delivering on every front, right? So I'm going to name drop. Again, these are opinions of ourselves and not a company that we represent. But um, there are a few... I represent my company. I can make it both, right? (laughs) All right. There you go, Jay. (laughs) Freely, freely vent. Uh, Despite despite all these exposés, at least a little bit more... um, 
awareness, right? Not just on the game developer front, but gamers kind of standing behind game developers and saying, hey, we can wait a little. Uh, just take your time. Uh, don't worry about uh, killing yourself to kind of ship these games. Uh, have you feel, do you guys feel have like it is? on the internet lately? <laughs> Well, let me know. Let me know. Like, has where, there been where an impact? Finding, where are you finding these patient gamers? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, more patient than I think most people would give them credit to. I think, uh, what, which game in particular? But oh, like, no. yeah, someone, I know some some company, I, I'm being very vague here, but let me just give you a, a, a vague example, right? There was a company on their social network, I think Facebook, where it's like, hey, guys, we're going to work our hardest to make sure this is out. Uh, we're going to make sure our guys are in the office the full week or two weeks until this uh, patches out so that you guys can play your game. And the response were overwhelmingly, like, hey, don't kill your developers. <laughs> and they kind of got in hot waters yeah. that they had to retract, right? So instances like that. Where I feel like years ago was uh, not something that we would expect. But do you feel with all these news the last year overall have made an impact in how employers treat their employees and how gamers expect their games to be on time or not? You you, want to go first, Alex, before I go on my rant? Oh, no, you go. Go ran ran away. I think I think something else. No, go ahead. Let Alex go. All right, Alex. Um. Okay. Okay. So, well, first, first thing I always read on the articles that you know the productivity and the time you spend on work, they're not as correlated as it might seem and like you understand that when you come to the office and you see all like not everybody like sits down and works the eight hours they have to work yes they they go for coffee they do that they do this and speaking for myself certainly there are times when like in one half hour i do or in two hours i do more than the other day so i think that the productivity is not correlating that easily with the time people spend at work although of course yes when you're speaking about the stuff you especially about bug fixes yeah it's like a something you it's more about the cycle of the of development i think because you you do something you let the testers test then they return the results and you have to fix some very minor, small stuff and so on, so on. So yeah, probably overworking will help here. But largely I like I do understand this idea. I have a lot of games I have already bought, I can play. Uh I'd mean more it's more interesting for me to receive a well done game than to have a game in this time and at this particular time but I'm not sure everybody's like that like I think I'm, I don't know the percent of people but if I was if you take me that was in school then I I would probably be a guy who says oh come on work faster <laughs> so 
uh, I don't know the percent of people who are really supporting uh, that the idea that you can uh, just develop for a longer time, but do everything better. But I do remember connected to this topic that I think Epic removed Unreal Engine Trello board or not Unreal Engine. Uh, yeah, they, they removed it. Did they really remove the Trello board? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, sure. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so they removed it because they were sad that they don't make it in time. And uh, when at our... Hmm? I had no idea that they removed their... Tra- yeah, I didn't know they removed their Trello board. Is that real? Yeah, they, they removed it. And every time at our company, like we don't meet the... <laughs> The time limit seems like oh don't uh, or somebody's complaining oh and we have a trail board for cascader um and a public trail board and people are like oh but we didn't we didn't put the card as fast as we should and i'm like oh come on guys we're like we're a small uh group of people doing this complicated stuff don't worry even epic Come on, they have as much money as they want. They give grants, like a lot of grants, a lot of money to developers. Uh, they have a lot of money, but they still cannot meet uh, the time limits. So don't worry, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it, definitely it's one of those things that kind of bite their own butt. One of things that... Go, go ahead, so Jack. I'm going to take the unpopular opinion here. And Brandon, you've worked in these big AAA studios. I never have. You've gotten more hands-on experience with this than I do. My problem is at the executive level and at the PR level, all of these companies go, we don't make anybody stay late. You know, anyone can leave when they want to leave. And yes, officially in the employee handbook, I'm sure that's what it says. The reality is... There is a systemic issue in this industry with, and it comes from all of us up the food chain, from the new people in QA to, you know, engineering to art, everybody of, well, we have to crunch because that's what we have to do. This is the industry. And I don't want to leave because, you know, Sarah might see me leave and then they're not going to like me anymore. Until we, as the people working on the, all of these games, sit down and say, my family is more important than this job. They can't literally fire you for it. They probably will, and they'll find some way. But the, the teams have got to start, you know, standing up for themselves and leaving and going to work. And, and, and I know it's hard and I'm not blaming the developers for this. Let me be very clear about it. This is something we've seen for 30 years. This isn't like a new fad where, you know, oh my God, what do you mean? Somebody worked, you know, all these hour, hundred hour weeks on, on Red Dead Redemption. This has been a part of our industry for as long as we've had an industry. And it's a, systemic issue that has to start all the way through these companies, not like just at the top. The companies that are doing it the best are the indie studios. 
small studios where you can look around and you know everybody and you trust everybody. And, you know, they can say, it's five o'clock, go home. They're not up against some stupid quarterly projection that somebody with an Excel spreadsheet sent to Wall Street last month. And that's where a lot of these problems come in. You know, we live in an industry of, of digital distribution now. And that's not the way it used to be. This crunch crap started because if you wanted to have a game on the shelf for Christmas, it had to be gold mastered August 31st. And if it wasn't, then you were going to miss it because it had to go and be manufactured and then boxes had to be made and they had to be sent to the distributors and the distributors to the stores and all this other crap. And you didn't have time before Black Friday. Now we live in an age of ship it when you want to. It's all digital. And most of these games are going as a service anyway. So you know what? If it's not ready, then call it early access, get it out there, and then start adding the content to it. But I love the fact that these exposés are coming out, but then I sit back and shake my head. It's like every time Kotaku goes, oh, we have this exclusive on blah, 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 you know, studio. Brandon, you know this. Pick up the phone and call the next studio. The same shit is happening there. They just haven't leaked it. The you know nobody's run out and told Kotaku yet. You know it's it's infuriating. And and I see when when the last batch of the stuff came out, and I saw it on our own Discord server, made the comment about you know you shouldn't be working twelve hours a day and. There was someone, and I'm going to say it's a kid because I'm old, and you know they weren't in the industry yet, and they were in college. But he's like, I wish I had the opportunity to work 12 hours a day on a game. And I'm like, that's part of the problem. You shouldn't feel like that, you know. You and I, I get it. You know, I worked ridiculous hours when I was, you know, in my early 20s. But as you get older, you realize that that's not the key. It's like you were talking about in the last segment. You like to hang out with your kids. I like to hang out with my kids. Kid, I only have one. You know, it, it's a matter of you don't get to that point until later. And unfortunately, we burn people out so fast by making them work these ridiculous hours that they never actually stay in the industry to the point where they have a family. Because either they have decided early on that their family is more important and they got out of the industry altogether. Or they decided their career was more important and it tore their family apart. And it's ridiculous. It's definitely uh, an ongoing issue. Like the youngins that come in, they don't think about five years ahead with youngins. that stuff. The youngins where, uh, yeah, the time slowly doesn't become their own anymore. I think that's essentially the the, the problem. Where um, It's not the problem. It's actually a good thing where you're starting to value other things outside of work, but you're creating this system where uh, young developers are kind of sought after to fill out these hot seats and old developers are kind of pushed out for the very fact that they like living life. Um, just being in these AAA industries or AAA uh, developing um, cycles or, or studios. Yeah, no one can outright say that you have to stay late and do this and do that. Uh, at least the the smarter ones who don't want to, what well, they want to skirt around the legal issues. 
you kind of get peer pressured in a way uh, by producers. You get, that, that's the problem. You get peer pressured. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, Johnny over here uh, is having uh, tuna uh, tomorrow at Saturday lunch. What are you having? And that's how you get asked to come in the weekends. Not necessarily, hey, we got to have to crunch through this weekend. I mean, we'd be so in some studios and some experience, they would say that like, hey, we're going to have to really push it in this milestone. You know, so what are we going to do? And they ask you straight up like that is like and guilt you into thinking like, yeah, I guess I'll be in for a couple hours. Or they say, hey, your whole team's going to be on, especially if you're at a later stage of your career, you're most likely more senior or you're even lead. Right. So if anybody on your team is crunching, you're obligated to be there to kind of be a teammate. Right. Even though you don't have anything to do. So like you said, um, earlier like the peer pressure is definitely the biggest factor to this but uh what alex said the quality again um at the end means everything and a lot of times like we said you have diminished uh, diminishing returns the longer you spend on something throughout the day you can probably i can probably at my age at this stage of my life give like a good 12 hours monday but that's it <laughs> like that means three hours uh friday is what you're gonna get up because it all balances out in that way in terms of energy level because i've been in the industry long enough to know that you know how useful i am when i start working like that but also i i understand too deadlines won't shift but i make use of the eight hours or the seven hours dedication so that I don't run into problems um, later where I have to push it or, or crunch, right? So this is unfortunately a thing that I think will never end on the game developer side. Um, hopefully. Uh, I hope we, it does. But I, mean, I hope it does. But like there is just no... That's why I'm always... I was hopeful with the streaming thing being a solution where... Technically, there's no deadlines or whatever, right? We're all digital now. I remember the time during that transition where, like you said, we go gold standard because there was a rush to get things in store and because our whole marketing department and a whole future of the studio depends on that. But we're, I remember that shift where we were basically shipping out empty disk with fancy covers because day one patches, two gigs of downloads. And uh, it was okay. It was fine <laughs> uh, to get to that. That last hour fault. yes that's what you're saying yes but it's that's... your fault that i have to go buy a game and then spend <laughs> three hours installing it to my playstation that's the gold standard now it's like a day one patch but that's the that's, that's the reality if people you, if you're streaming you're... isn't gonna fix it nope it isn't if anything it's gonna push us um to work to put more content behind it because we can get away with it and that's i think the uh, I, I like burning producers, but that's a very My producer hope. mentality. <laughs> well, all right. So my hope is that over if, if enough of this stuff comes out, and it's going to have to be like a new studio getting outed every month for about two years, probably. But if this continues to come out, we'll end up with a generation of developers who don't you know, look sideways at their coworkers if they work normal hours. And we end up with a good batch of middle managers who don't sit there and go, oh, no, you don't have to work this weekend. And, and then walk off because it's implied that, you know, you absolutely do 
have to work this weekend. But all of these exposés are good because this is, I mean, this is, none of this is news to us who work in the industry. It's like, oh, what, somebody worked on Fortnite for like two weeks straight and didn't sleep? Not surprised. That happens on, on every game. But to the consumers and to the rest of the world, it's not normal. And, and, and it is new to them. So quite frankly, I hope they continue to do it. And, you know, I hope they continue to put these things out there because eventually it's going to have an effect. But streaming isn't going to save it because games as a service absolutely didn't, you know, save it. So, you know, streaming is not going to help. But it's, it's going to have to be an internal issue throughout the entire company, not just the executives going, oh, no, you don't have to work, you know, more than 40 hours a week. Yep. Or we move to Finland. Uh, I agree. Can't work more than that. But I'll agree that uh, the 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 stuff about working more mainly, I think, comes from from the top. So the somebody thinks like, I mean, who, who puts the deadline there? It's the producer that producer. puts the deadline. Yeah, and then he says. Oh, but this but this is not good enough. This is not working, and we have to make this better. And then we have the deadline, and so like it's sorry, guys. All right. So what do we have? Someone who there, there are no other options. It, it's it's not always the producer because I've been a producer and I've been an executive producer. The deadline that the producer gives you is based on a deadline the producer has been given by the executives, which typically came from uh, you're whoever the was building out you're all the, the same to us. for the year. And yeah, it, but it's, but it, that's the thing. It's, it's different. You know, there's somebody, and, and this is why I said it all depends on whose stock price gets screwed up. You know, and that's when we're going to have this thing pop out. There's somebody in that office that is telling, you know, in their quarterly financials that Call of Duty Modern Warfare is going to ship November 1st. Now, they're nine months out when they're telling them this and they're, you know, hoping it ships November 1st. And so that gets passed down to the executive producer. And it's like, look, you got to get Call of Duty to ship November 1st. And so they start building their schedule out. And they hand it down to the producer and go, this is what I think you should do. And the producer's like, holy crap, nobody can get all this done by November 1st. We need more resources. Well, you don't have more resources. And this is the way. <laughs> can we do an entire show about this, Brandon? <laughs> of course, yes. Yeah. It's, it, it's, I see that it can be seen as, oh, it's all the people in the main office. But it's not. It's It's a straight line from... Whoever is telling their, you know, stock owners or investors that it's going to ship on a certain date down to, you know, the executive producer, the producer, and, and then the, the poor people making the game. You know, it's it's yeah, a very I, I understand. I understand. pattern system. I, I, I'm kind of a producer, too, actually, but but. Uh, and then you know you get a question like, and by which time will this be done? By which time? And then you have to answer that somehow. You, you, and 
and that question is it's rarely asked like <laughs> it, it uh, like it implies that you can't say oh it will be two years from now and well i answer as i can in these situations and i say well half a year probably or three months uh but the problem is uh is that people are optimistic so it's usually like you think but like you think oh it will be like four months but let's say some problem appear and it will be six months but you always underestimate the number of problems especially technical problems that will appear so it's usually more and we were we were using agile but i think nowadays everybody uses agile and scrum and we did this estimates of the tasks you know and then every every scrum we underestimated and we took too much and it was going like that for a year and without like very strong will without somebody like dedicating to control this people just tend to to be optimistic that's at least that's how it happened at ours i don't know maybe we were just optimists all there but uh we couldn't evade it and we that's what happens everywhere right now yeah yeah so it's just that people are optimistic and when they're asked to give a time limit they give an optimistic time limit and then of course something happens and we can't make it and <laughs> i don't know if i don't think it's very different in other industries it's for for some reason in gaming industry it's much more but if you're like i don't um <laughs> sorry my english but if you're like like you know uh how to say it when you do the stuff in your flat like the furniture the uh the ceiling the the walls like i don't know the word in english for it but i mean when you're on on other tasks in real life i see the same stuff like my parents say oh the like don't come right now we're still doing stuff in in the new flat and then we'll be doing it for a month and then a month later they're like oh it's two weeks more just we didn't finish everything yet two weeks. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, it's always two weeks yeah. so it's yeah general contracting i think is what you're i mean those guys are very hard to find a good one at least <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of time, and you know we like being on time, this rounds out the table for the hour. Uh, so we've done a successful hour of discussion, and we can go on forever, I'm sure. And uh, I just want to give this opportunity to welcome and thank you to our guests, Alex and Jay, for jumping on here and giving your opinions. Uh, before I let you guys go, uh, let's go around the table and and let people uh, know how to find you guys after this. So, uh, Jay, uh, let's start with you. Easiest way is our Discord server. Whether you need like our consulting services or you want to find out more about the indie game business side, um, 
It's discord.gg slash indie game business. Very simple. All right. Thank you, Jay. And uh, thank you again for yesterday for uh, for rounding out our last talk for the day. But Alex, for people that are tuning in tomorrow, uh, can you kind of talk about what time slot and what you're going to talk about so that people can look forward to hearing your voice again? Okay. The, the time slot is, I think, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific or 10.30 a.m. Pacific timeline. Let me help you out. It's going to be 11.30 Pacific time. There you go. It's just, you know, for me, it will be 9 p.m., 9.30 p.m. So, yeah, I'm almost confused. It's like, it's 2 a.m. here, by the way. Uh, So I might be a little... Yeah. Sleepy. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be talking about Cascader, and uh, it's the animation software for creating action animation. Uh, so, and I'll be telling the history, how it actually evolved, why it evolved. Uh, it will have a, a nice bunch of videos coming from fifteen years ago, ten years ago, and etc. Uh, how the stuff was evolving, how was that the, and and why uh, we decided to do it and how we decided to move on from the from the in-house product program it was to right now we're having a closed beta test and we hope for it to evolve in a separate project um, and I'll be talking about character action animation what problems are present right now so yeah uh and then you if you're interested but you won't be able to see me tomorrow you can always just google cascader or enter cascader.com and there you can sign up for our closed beta test and we'll send you all the links to everything you have we have a discord to a forum etc etc and I'm very much looking forward to that talk. Uh, the same way that we just finished with our last segment with Jonathan Holmes, how photogrammetry is kind of changing the landscape for artists. Uh, Cascador uh, is the next big thing uh, since mocap, I think, for animation. Like animators out there, I always make fun of them because they're always... Uh, they haven't changed their workflow for the longest time. And until I saw you guys' software where I was like, finally, let's get these guys back in gear and start learning again. Uh, it was truly transformative, revolutionary. So anybody who is wanting to listen or hear more about the history and why it is going to change not just the game industry, the movie industry as well, uh, or any type of entertainment that's using animation. Tune in tomorrow to Alex's talk at 11.30. It's going to be the second talk of the day. And uh, that is it, guys. Uh, thank you again for rounding this table. Would have been lonely without you. And I'm sure people would have been uh, <laughs> not as entertained if I was arguing against myself. So I want to thank you guys for taking the time of the day to actually coming to join me. 